Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. All right, man, we're here today on The Scent Life with a good friend of mine, uh, Chris Martin. Chris and I have known one another for a lot of years and uh, have done some stuff together. Chris, thanks so much for being with me today. Yeah, of course. Glad to be here. I appreciate uh, appreciate you. Appreciate your friendship. Uh, you know, today we want to talk about uh, Chris Martin's new book, uh, The Wolf in Their Pockets, 13 Ways the Social Internet Threatens the People That You Lead. And now Chris and I were just talking before we went on, on the air. And the fascinating thing is that as, as of yesterday, uh, this book was number one in the new release in, in Christian pastoral resources and Christian leadership on Amazon.com. And uh, so it's uh, the book has come out and been pretty well received, hadn't it, Chris? Yeah, yeah. You know, we, you and I were joking that as a writer or in, in any ministry or writing space, writing a book for most of us is not going to be the best financial way to spend your time. There are a lot more efficient ways to make a living using the written word uh, if you, if you want to do that. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm under no impression that I'm going to be a bestseller of any kind, but what, what those numbers mean to me and what it's, what it's new release top new release status means to me is that it seems to be hitting on a need, which I, which I felt obviously as I was writing the book and was, part of the reason I wanted to write the book. Um, but it's always helpful, you know, writing, I, I say this a lot about writing on the internet, but it's the same of, it's the same as writing in a book too. As a writer, you often feel like you're just shouting into a void and you never really know if any, if anybody in the void is going to shout back. And right. what, what sales numbers like this early in, in the game, you know, again, I'm not on any bestseller list, nor do I, nor do I expect <laughs> to be. Um, but what what a response like this means to me early on is that some of the void is shouting back and saying, yes, we could really use a resource like this. And so that's just, it's encouraging to me, like, okay, like, yeah, even though I'm not, not going to be buying a boat or a house or even putting windows in my house with the kind of money you make on a book like this, uh, you you do really value the response of readers and recognizing, hey, this seems to be filling a gap and, and resourcing a need that is really a, a big need in the church today. So I, yeah. I encourage. Brian. Yeah. yeah, that's great. And I'm super excited about this book. So Chris, for those of you who don't know him, Chris was on our show oh, a year or so ago. He wrote uh, another uh, book terms of service, but Chris uh, is, uh, is the editor of Bible to life.com. He's also the content marketing editor at Moody publisher. Uh, and he runs it. He writes regularly at his own website, terms of service.social. Uh, which I enjoy following. Um, in fact, I'll make a little comment about that a little bit later uh, in the show. But Chris is the guy who I've known for years. In fact, my, you know, my, um, the recommendation I wrote for the book on Amazon.com, uh, I think probably says more about uh, the book than, uh, than anything. It says, there's no person that I trust more than Chris Martin to help me understand the power, both the benefits and potential problems of the social internet. This book is a wealth of information and advice that will guide you and help you guide others to walk with Jesus and to help others do the same. Chris is not a Luddite or a grumpy old man that always complains about the dangers of technologies or kids these days. He makes his living through social media and for this reason is best positioned to help all of us understand the threats of these platforms and also to recommend ways to minister 
in this brave new world. And Chris, I really believe that. And I'm so thankful that you wrote this book, The Wolf in Their Pocket. So can you tell us just a little bit about the book and what led you to write this book at this time? Yeah, thank you so much for those kind words and your review means a lot and both to me personally and also just because unfortunately getting reviews on books on Amazon is just has an outside outsized importance um, in mm -hmm. terms of just helping people see the book. So it is super helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Um, the reason I wrote this book, you know, I, I was, I wrote terms of service first regarding right. when I was started writing on social media, that was published just over a year ago, 13 months ago. And, um, I wrote that book and it was like, I knew that was the book I had to write first. If I was going to write a book about social media, because it was like, I feel like Christians need to just learn about social media and the social internet more broadly from a big picture, like 30,000 foot view perspective. Um, and there's lots of great Christian or lots of great books written about that from non-Christian perspectives, but I thought it might be helpful to have a book like that kind of with that in mind from a from somebody who does hold a Christian worldview and the sort of flavor that that provides, which is why I wrote that book. I did not write Terms of Service because I, you know, I was like, oh, man, I just see this need so much as I, I did see a need for sort of Internet literacy. Uh, and that's sure. kind of what the purpose of that book was. It wasn't like, oh, man, this is going to be this tool in a toolbox so much as I, I really want people to get their minds around. It was more. It was more ambiguous or more abstract of a, of a book, but it was sort of like, if I'm going to write anything on social media, I need to write this first. It was sort of like, this needs to be the foundation of what I write. Um, and so when I wrote that, even as I was writing that, and then certainly when the book was released, I was hearing a ton of feedback from pastors, church leaders, and parents, really people in various roles of just Christian leadership very broadly, mm -hmm. who were like, hey, this book is helpful we could use something that's even a, a lot more practical for leaders. For, to, mm. Like if I'm trying to parent or lead a small group or pastor a church, I could use something that gives me some more, um, some more handles on, on like ways to actually lead in this environment. And mm. I said, you know what? I think you're exactly right. And I think that's a need. I think that is a, a need that's there. Um, that's more tangible than the sort of abstract book that I just wrote. Now, certainly I think the book that I wrote, before terms could be, if you tried, could be used for that um, right. to help to help leaders. But I, I was like, you know, there's probably should be one that's a little bit more explicitly for leaders targeted specifically at leaders and saying, here are practical things you can do to lead in an environment, disciple in an environment when social media is discipling people more than you are. And so I had all of that. So that was part of part of my motive. Uh, also, the other part of the motive was as soon as I finished writing terms, I was ready to keep writing on social media. But I, I wasn't sure exactly what, you know, it's like I have energy to keep sprinting, but I don't know where to run. Sure. So I got I got together with my agent. I had literally I had a list of like a dozen ideas with little like synopses of like, here's what I think each one of these could be about. And there were some I liked more than others. And this one was up near the top because I had already been hearing from people about the need for it. And my agent agreed. That's what agents are really helpful. Well, they're helpful for a lot of things, but they're especially helpful as a sort of sounding board to help you sort through what ideas are good and what ideas are bad. And so my agent agreed. Yeah, this this does seem to be a need. And so this is the one I you know we ended up creating a proposal around, and I wrote some sample chapters for. And that's eventually why we went down this road. But really, like 
I, you know, I've been leading in student ministry in the local church since I was a high schooler. Uh, from right. the time I was a freshman in college till today, um, I have served in the student ministry of whatever church we've attended. A couple, I've I spent about three years actually on staff at our church leading student ministry. Um, but most of the other times it's just been as like a, a lay leader um, who shows up on Wednesdays and goes on the trips and all of that sort of thing. And so I, I'm pretty aware of, of, how social media is affecting people from a discipleship standpoint, just from my own time mm -hmm. in student ministry. And we lead a community group every Tuesday night here in our home. So I, I see it there as well. But I, but I also am aware that my experience is not going to be the same as everybody else's. And I, I'm also aware that I'm not on staff at a church and somebody who mm. spends their day in vocational ministry might have a little bit different perspective than someone like me who works during the day and, and does ministry more in the evenings, you know, as a lay person. Right. And so I want, I wanted to be sure to get a sort of pantheon of pastors and, and like vocational church leaders to be speaking into this project throughout. And so from the beginning, I think I had about two dozen pastors that I sent an initial survey to like, here's what the table of contents is maybe going to look like. What should I take out? What should I add? Um, do you see any glaring things? You know, that sort of thing. Give me some feedback. What, what chapter do you think definitely needs to be in here and why, you know, I, I just kind of sent this long questionnaire and got a ton of feedback. And then Moving through, I, I sort of whittled down that list of pastors that I was paying attention to because I was started asking some more of them. I sent I sent about six or seven of them the full manuscript when it was finished to read through and say, hey, I, tell me if I'm off on any of this from from a pastor's perspective. And so, um, and, and even a, like a counselor, a Christian counselor, because there's some stuff in there about anxiety and stuff like right. that. And so I wanted to get a lot of other experts' eyes on this before I printed it uh, because I know that my experience isn't the same as everybody. I come with the social media knowledge and some ministry knowledge, but I'm not, you know, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a pastor or, or, or a parent of a teenager. I'm a parent, but not of a teenager. And so I got a, a bunch of different perspectives and some, some of the feedback was incredibly helpful. Um, and so I, huge thanks to all of those folks who, who helped with that because they just saw some, some gaps where I had some blind spots. And so um, just, it was a great process. It was super, um, it, it was thorough. It was, uh, frankly, kind of easy. Um, it was an easy book to write because of all the feedback and the sort yeah. of dialogue I had. But that that's a long answer to kind of why I felt the need for it. It's just something that I was hearing from people when I wrote the last book, and it kind of confirmed some suspicions I had for where we should go next here. So Yeah, and again, we're talking to Chris Martin about his new book, The Wolf and Their Pockets. Uh, 13 Ways the Social Internet Threatens the People that You Lead. And this, this really is a book designed for leaders, for those uh, who are seeing uh, the way that uh, social media and the internet is influencing. And Chris, you, I like the way you said earlier when you said that this these platforms are discipling our people and therefore it's influencing the way that we uh, should disciple. It raises different needs. It raises different concerns. Also, uh, understand that there's different voices speaking into uh, the lives of the people we lead, whether we're leading teenagers or uh, adults or, you know, uh, middle-aged adults or, or empty nesters or whatever. Everybody's influenced by this. You make a great point of this, even especially in the, the first book, but also in this, in this book, that everybody's being discipled. It influences the way that we come at it. So this is a really uh, well-written, practical book that deals with how this is shaping the people that we're leading and then what to do about it. Um, now, one of the one of the things that uh, I wanted just to bring out here is I've noticed it in both of the books that you wrote. You really, I don't know if you coined the phrase, I'm not an expert in the field, but you certainly use it uh, 
regularly. You choose to use the word social internet as opposed to kind of the more common word of social media. And well, tell us, why do you prefer that phrase and, and how does that uh, kind of influence the way that you lean into the topic here? Yeah, it's a great question, Scott. And, and, um, and I am particular about it because, and, and it's, it's, I think, you know, it's annoying to my editor and probably my publisher that I prefer that term because social media is just so much more sticky and, and familiar. Mm-hmm. And obviously it's the term I, I, I even use it throughout the book and I use them. I use the two terms, social media and social internet pretty interchangeably because I, it's like when you want to teach somebody a new way of thinking and a new way of saying something, you don't want to just hammer them over the head with your way of thinking about it every time because you might lose them. So you kind of have to, you know, it's, I think of Paul and like, I'm going to speak in human language here. Um, And it's like, I'm, I'm going to use the word social. I'm going to use the term social media because you understand that one, but it's maybe better understood as the social internet. And here's why I think the distinction is important. I did not coin this term. Um, I it's, but it's not as widely used as I think it should be, which is part of the reason I use it. Um, I hear a, a lot of folks in this space use the term social internet. And I think it kind of goes back to post, it kind of goes back to Postman in a way. Um, so Neil Postman and Musing Ourselves to Death, which heavily influences all of my writing on social media, it, in terms of thematically, it influenced terms of service more than it even influenced this book, though I certainly cite that that work of his a few times in this one as well. Um, he talks about regarding the television and Amusing Ourselves mm. to Death. He talks about the difference between a technology and a medium. Okay. Um, so technology in TV terms, it's a little bit easier, and then we'll bring that to today in the internet terms. In terms of television, uh, when you think about a technology and the and and the medium um, or media, technology is the TV itself. It's that thing you go out to the department store, the electronic store to buy. It's the wires. It's the screen, the lights. You know, all of that. That's the technology. The media or the medium is the culture that's created Mm. using that piece of technology. Uh. So when you think about it in in television terms, the TV is the technology and your evening world news broadcast is media. Your Mm -hmm. sitcom is media. Your reality TV show is media. It's the culture that's created through that particular kind of technology. Um, When we look at the internet and social media um, and the social internet, the social internet is the platforms themselves. Um, Twitter is a piece of the social internet and social media is created on Twitter, the social internet platform. Instagram is a piece of the social internet. It is the technology. It's ones and zeros that codes these images and and serves them up through the the algorithms that determine what content you see. That's like the wires of your television Mm. that that determine what you see when you view your television. Um, And so... The platforms themselves, I think, should be best understood as the social internet, the the sort of stage on which the media performs. Mm. Um, social media, in a in the most specific and clear and accurate sense, social media is the pictures, the videos, the links, the quotes, the content that fills our feeds is the media. Mm. The feeds themselves are the technology, or as I call, the social internet. So I think of like social media is the subset of a social internet that's more the umbrella. So the social internet is like the stage or even the whole theater. Yeah. And the social media is the act performing on the stage. And so I want us, the reason I talk so much about social internet 
is I want us to not only focus on the act that's on the stage, like, hey, watch this or don't watch this. We should be concerned about that. Like, right. hey, we should not go to these sites or watch these things or, you know, all of that. We should be concerned about all of that for right. sure. But I'm as concerned about what this whole operation is all doing to us generally. Like, what's right. the big picture? What? Why do we find these stages so appealing? And why do they light it in these certain ways? And how do they determine the acts that come out onto stage to begin with? And so I'm very much more interested in the more meta sort of, not to get like punny <laughs> there, um, the more big picture discussion about everything that makes the social internet work rather than just the media, the acts on the stage themselves. We should talk about that. Um, but there's a lot of people talking about that and that's quite easy. Um, so what I want to make sure to do in everything that I'm writing about or speaking about is not just talk about, Hey, watch this or don't watch that again. That's all very helpful, but a lot of people are talking about that. And so I don't want to just be one of the voices added to that. And, you know, parents are very aware of what, like, that's an issue that's more top of mind than what are these algorithms doing to me? And, and how, how is it just, how is it discipling me? And how is it making me care more about entertainment than being formed and, 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 and matured and, and growing. And so those, are, those are the, the sort of distinctives I see between social internet and social media. I don't know if you under, uh, let me know if I'm not clear there, but hopefully no, that yeah. clears that up a little bit. No, that makes perfect sense. And that's kind of what I want us to get to because you're the, the concern of the book isn't just the the message itself it is that technology that's behind it because that's what's really shaping and influencing the people so people say yeah but i i only follow you know uh positive feeds or i only follow you know uh I'll, you know i only watch youtube for cooking channels or whatever's on there but your your real concern i think rightly so is yeah but this whole this whole technology is shaping so much about you in fact you make the point in the book that it literally shapes the way that we think it influences our brain which then plays a, a big factor in you know the way that we're discipled and the way that we disciple people can you say just a little bit about this notion because you again you make a big deal uh, in the book or you make a point in the book that that it changes the way that we think and i've read several pages or, or, or books and, and papers people say yeah i just want my old brain back the one that could remember telephone numbers and the one that could could do those things but how does the the social internet as a technology really influence our thinking and 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 also how does it impact us in such a way that leaders need to lean in and know what's happening so that we can better disciple our people yeah um I'm not, I want to say this up front. I'm, I'm not a psychologist or a brain sure. scientist. So I'm always, I'm a, I'm always careful to not get too in the weeds on this and B, I'm not even really equipped to do so. So you don't have to worry <laughs> about me doing that. I'm sure you could have somebody who is a psychologist or a brain scientist get way more in the weeds and, and, and uh, <laughs> definitely run laps around me on this, but basically speaking and, and generally speaking, the way social media sort of rewires the way we think is, I mean, there, I think there are a lot of ways, but I think generally scrolling passively on a social media platform of, of your choice, whatever your favorite is, and bouncing from a sermon clip from a pastor across the country that you like to see to a stand-up comedy clip from a raunchy comedian to a clip of a worship set from a famous worship band on the other side of your town to um, a clip from a highlight from the basketball game last night to, I think, like if you use any platform, you know, like a TikTok or an Instagram or even Twitter, I'm not, I don't want to single anybody, any of them sure. out. That's not the point here. Sure. But when you, when you bounce from reverent to frivolous, to profane, back to reverent, back to informational, oh, and then entertaining, 
when you consume content in this way, people talk about shortest attention spans and I, it, like, yeah, I guess, but it makes me sad that that's the thing that seems to get the most attention a lot of times is like, oh, we just can't pay attention anymore. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that's, that's sad. And I, I don't know, I've not read any studies on like how much that's actually changed um, because I remember not having a particularly short attention span even before social media was a big thing. But right. um, or I, did, I remember not having a very long attention span before social media was much of a thing. But the, what I'm more concerned about is like Postman talks about, sorry to cite him again, but he's he always but in my mind. Um, he talks about how like some kinds of media are just not made for certain kinds of messages. Right. And he talks about how the TV is the great, is a great trivialization machine. And Hmm. I just think like, if TV is a great trivialization machine, how much more is social media a great trivialization machine? And so like, I think what can unfortunately happen, it's not, look, I don't have, like I said, I'm I'm not a psychologist. I don't have like studies to back this up, but what I think just logically and just makes sense can so easily happen is that when we start to view very reverent things like sermon clips or powerful worship songs in the same feed as funny cat videos and bits from stand-up comics, it it kind of dulls the shine of the Mm. things that really matter because it brings them down to the level of things that don't really matter. Yeah. Um, And and so I, I think we just need to be careful of and aware of how we can make the reverent irreverent unintentionally by splicing it in with so many things that are just frivolous and, and inconsequential. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. And and again, it just shapes kind of our attitude uh, toward it. You know, one of my favorite chapters uh, obviously was your second chapter um, because it dealt with purpose uh, and really you focused in that chapter on mission and the great commission. You know, this is a missions and evangelism podcast. uh, So people are listening and really thinking in, in those veins too. And you really talked about how the social internet influences our sense of purpose and calling specifically related to the Great Commission. Can you talk a little bit about uh, how the how this really creates this conflicting message as it relates to the Great Commission? What are the impacts uh, that you have seen or that others have seen about uh, the social internet on, on our purpose, our calling, and really our commitment to the Great Commission? Yeah, you know, I think we have we have a calling, as as you know, as anybody listening to this podcast knows, sure. um, as Christians to fulfill the Great Commission, to go and teach and baptize and make disciples of all nations. Um, and I think it's our, our mission, the Great Commission, the primary charge we have regarding living out our purpose is roughly 2,000 years old, you know, depending on how you want to date that or whatever. Anybody's listening <laughs> right. to this in 100, 100 years from now. Um Living out the Great Commission is not an always always an optimized pursuit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just my, my pastor pastor at our church just preached about this this past weekend actually about how we need to be a little bit less concerned with optimization and, mm-hmm. and speed and and efficiency. Now it's good to make the most of our time, and you know I'm not I'm not saying anything against that, but I think a lot of times we can miss out on the richness of fulfilling the great commission if we become more interested in optimization and efficiency than this sort of just slow work of growing something that ministry and and fulfilling the great commission really is and i think that using social media and really more broadly the social internet and the internet you could go even broader than just the social internet just like the speeds that the internet allow us to move at in communication and yeah. teamwork and cooperation that are all very helpful and good. And I think mm. we should praise God for so many of the ways 
that social media and the internet more broadly help us come together and mm. and equip each other through podcasts like this and through right. and through countless you know blogs and other resource sites that we may access and use i think we just need to pump, maybe pump the brakes a little bit and and one and and ask ourselves how much is something like social media actually helping me fulfill the great commission and how much of it is actually just dis you know, sort of distracting me from the great commission. Mm. Um, and because look, I, I, I think I probably said this when I was here last year and, and I will say it again, I am not an anti-social media person. Right. You kind of you said in your review, I think on Amazon that I'm not a old man on the porch curmudgeonly. Now I can be that kind of person. I have friends who have joked that I've been a 65 year old man since I was 25. So I can be that kind of person, but when it comes to social media, I'm not anti-social media um, at all. Now, I've written two books about the concerns we sh- we ought to have, but that's because sure. I don't think anybody needs to write any books about the good things. I think we're all pretty aware of the good things right. when it comes to social media. That's why we use it. Um, right. But I do think that when it, when we think about our mission as Christians to fulfill the Great Commission and, and the sort of the ways that, that, among other things, undergirds our entire lives, we should ask hard questions of, is my relationship with social media um, being an, an anchor, you know, mm. tied around my foot as I try to fulfill that great commission, or is it being a, you know, a boat engine pushing me forward as I try to do that? And I think there are very real ways that social media can help us toward uh, fulfilling the great commission. I I think that's maybe like one out of 10 though, right? Like right. I think there are like for every one way that social media can help us toward our work in the Great Commission. I think there are like nine ways that it drags us in our work. Yeah, and right. so um, so I just think we need to be aware of that, that it's not this sort of, oh, yeah, it's really easy. Here's Here are some ways. Because I don't think it's just like, you know, posting Bible verses on Facebook. No, I, again, this is not bad. Sure. But I think like um, how, how much time, and I have a whole chapter on priorities, you know, like how much time we spend on social media and doing things on the internet versus like actually having conversations with our neighbors and people at the grocery store. And so I think there, we should just be very wary of our relationship with social media as it pertains to our call to fulfill the great commission and maybe put our relationship with social media under a microscope and not give it a pass and just say, Oh, well, like I'm socializing and I'm being a Christian on the internet. Isn't that enough? And it's like, well, I mean, not bad, but, um, maybe maybe we should consider the importance of just like incarnational ministry over, you know, the virtual ministry we may think we're doing on the internet. Yeah, I think that's right. I think one of the things that we, we and you, you bring this up is the, you know, uh, making disciples of all nations is a time consuming concept. Right? I mean, it takes it takes time to talk to someone, to get to know them, encourage them to confront their worldview, to convert to Christianity, then to disciple them. But when we when we're consumed on, I can I can learn anything or find out the answer to anything in a matter of seconds or or something, then our 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 patience shrinks, our commitment to people shrinks, the process shrinks, uh, and then we lose our sense of purpose, right? What what am I even here for? Am I here to you know just get likes? Or I'm here to really make a difference in this one person's life. I read something a few weeks ago, they asked some elementary school kids, would you rather have a million dollars or would you have a million followers? And the vast majority said, I'd rather have a million followers. And that's fine. They were the, the, the article I read dealt with the economic benefit of having a million followers. You'd be able to earn a million dollars pretty soon. In fact, you may have even posted that. I may have learned it from you. But, you know, the fact is that, that uh, sometimes it just takes 
that, that the Great Commission requires you to have one or two really good friends that you have coffee with, not a million people that you interact with. And so the, I think there really is an impact um, that all this carries with it. Um, so Chris, as you did your as you did your research for the book, uh, was there anything that jumped out at you as a surprise that uh, ministry leaders were bringing up to you? Anything that jumped out? Anything? more or less concerning than you thought when you were dealing with this, uh, this idea? It's really funny that you asked that um, because yes. Um, and I was surprised. I wasn't surprised that this particular topic was brought up as a concern because I had already, it was in my tentative table of contents in my, you know, my first list that I sent out to a couple dozen pastors, I knew that it would probably merit some focus. Um, but at one point, I think it was that first survey where I asked a couple dozen pastors and ministry leaders, I asked um, if there's one topic that needs to be covered in this book, or you wouldn't buy it, you know, uh, mm. what is the one topic that you think must be discussed regarding Christians and social media and how you lead amidst that? And all of them, 100% of them, if I remember correctly, um, said, you must deal with the matter of conspiracy theories, huh. or, or this book will not do what it needs to do. And I said, that's fascinating because I knew that it was merited. And I knew that because just in the last three to five years, there have been, an, there's been an influx of conspiracy theories passed around on the internet. And, right. and in the, in the chapter I devote to it, I explained why that is. So I won't go into all of that here. Um, so I, I, and I know that especially among Christians, there have been some, whether it's regarding um, governmental things, political things, generally, even Christian things and within like broader evangelicalism, like, and here's the thing, like, I, I, I want to be very gracious toward people who have adopted some sort of conspiracy theory, especially in the last three to five years, because frankly, we live in an age of conspiracy. Like there's a lot, there's a lot of conspiring going on. Right. Um, and so, so like, I want to be really gracious toward that. I, I don't, I'm, I think I'm pretty careful in that chapter to not just like, you know, bang on the heads of people who adopt these various things, but like what, and so I asked for pastors to elaborate in that survey, why is this particular topic, the one that you say I must talk about? And if I could make a composite image of all of their responses, sure. generally speaking, um, pastors were saying, look, I used to get two to three people a year who'd come up, come up to me after a sermon maybe five people a year who'd come up to me after a sermon on Sunday morning and say, Hey, pastor, did you hear about X, Y, or Z? I saw about it on the internet. Uh, and, and wh why wouldn't you talk about that? Or, did you know about it? Are you afraid to talk about it? Um, and then they said, you know, I used to have a handful of people a year do that kind mm. of thing. Uh, and I think any pastors listening probably like, Oh yeah, I've had that happen. And they, but, but then what a lot of them said was I'm getting one a week, one every other week. Wow. now." Um, and, and kind of hand in glove with that. Um, on, I address this in a chapter called Rethink Authority, mm. is a lot of pastors said that they feel like their authority as church leaders is being challenged more explicitly mm. today than it has ever been. And that kind of can go hand in hand with the whole conspiracy thing. Um, because if you're, if you are adopting conspiracy theories, you tend to be more skeptical of authority, that, that those things kind of are related. And sure. so, um, that was a common concern of pastors as well was, was like, I'm, I'm getting a lot more pushback on things. I, a things I'd never get pushback on before and B from people I'd never expect to push back on. Mm. It. Um, and so just a lot of opposition, um, coming in a, in a handful of different ways. That was those two themes between 
hey, conspiracy theories are a huge deal. And and people weren't even singling out a particular one. In fact, I don't even remember what time of year or when this was. I don't remember too many people citing particular ones so much as just like a general air of that. Sure. Um, and then also the the sort of pushing on authority and like people are just coming at like pastors felt a little under siege based on the, you know, the couple dozen that I talked to of just like, man, I'm getting more heat than I've ever gotten from my people before. Um, and so, so, and, and I think they're like, not, not all of that's going to be attributable to social media, but I think there's a lot of it that is. And I think you start seeing a lot of these kind of similar issues that are, that are cousins to each other, conspiracy theories, authority, discernment, and you start to there's this web and something's at the center of the web and it might be the web, if you will. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, I think a lot of these things have some crossover and you start to look at these Venn diagrams and there's a lot of crossover in areas that seem to could, could be uh, motivated or promoted by using social media. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's actually shocking. I, I wouldn't have thought that was one that jumped out, but I did, when I read the book, I thought, well, I can't believe he's got that chapter, but now it makes perfect sense why it's there, right. For, for those that are, uh, in ministry. Again, we're talking to Chris Martin, uh, the author of the new book, The Wolf in Their Pockets. Uh, and the book really is written for leaders. And it's a great book, a great resource. I recommend that anybody who is in any position of leadership um, buy this book and read it. If you're a, a student pastor, if you're a youth Sunday school teacher, if you're a small group, if you're a pastor of a church, a, a, a missionary, uh, this would impact cross-cultural work as well. The people around the world are being influenced by uh, by social media. So I really highly recommend uh, this book. I recommend Chris Martin and his entire ministry. Uh, Chris's website, Terms of Service, uh, you have a, a, a newsletter that you send out. Is it once a week that the the, the Terms of Service, news, twice a week it comes out? And uh, I get it. I read. Again, I just accidentally referenced it a minute ago. Like I was a really smart person uh, that just happened to read something, but I got it, um, got it from Chris. But the other thing I want to say about Chris Martin, though, is Chris not only makes me smarter but chris's ministry makes me cooler because uh about but but every weekend i get an email from chris martin that highlights some of the funniest things that he's found on twitter or uh instagram or something like that it's jokes and so every saturday i sit down over a cup of coffee and i go over this this newsletter that chris sends i copy it i paste it and i send it to my kids and other people, and they think I've been surfing the internet, finding the funniest stuff. Chris makes me cool. Chris makes me smart. And I appreciate uh, appreciate Chris's ministry. Chris, tell our folks a minute about how they can get on your uh, your newsletters and how you can find this type of information. Sure. So terms of service, the the social media newsletter, the one of actual like substance uh, is, <laughs> yeah, is Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, you can find it if you just Google like Chris Martin terms of service or terms of service dot social is the URL. Um, you can, you can hop on the, on the email there. I send it to every Tuesday. It's like an original column that I've written. And on Thursday is just like a collection of things I've been reading. Like the one you right. talked about at the million dollars versus million followers article. Um, and then, yeah, the funnies delivers on Saturday, which, um, I don't know if I should be happy or ashamed of the fact that that, that email 
subscriber list is actually larger than my terms of service one. Um, it has eclipsed it. It started during COVID. I think you were one of the first subscribers, actually. Um, it started in like the summer of 2020. I was just coming across a lot of funny tweets. And actually, I noticed that I, I include one funny tweet in every Thursday newsletter of the, of the social media one. Right. And I was noticing that people were clicking on the funny tweet more than anything else in my Thursday newsletter, more than the articles that I was spending you know, 45 minutes reading and polling. <laughs> and so I was like, maybe I should just make a whole newsletter of all these funny things. And so uh, so the funniest was born and it's kind of, yeah, it's meant to be like your weekend comment section or your weekend uh, comic section of your newspaper, you know, that, that feeling a 21st century version of that. And yeah, it's, um, it is the thing that I'm maybe proudest of and the thing that I get the most comments on. So uh, it's a blast. And uh, I try to find some clean, uh, funny things on the internet and share them as best I can. So that is the Saturday. That's the funnies.substack.com, I think. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's great. And, and I hope it's helpful for you. I'm also on Twitter at Chris Martin 17. I don't tweet a ton, but usually I'm either tweeting things I've written or other people have written around these subjects that I think might be helpful. So yeah, Chris, thanks a ton for being with us on the set life. Again, I appreciate Chris's friendship. I appreciate his ministry. Uh, I find it helpful, and I know that you will too, and uh, you'll also find this book helpful. So make sure that you pick up a copy, uh, Amazon.com, anywhere else that you buy books, uh, you can find a copy of The Wolf in Their Pockets, uh, 13 Ways the Social Internet Threatens the People that You Lead. Chris, thanks a ton for being with me. Of course. Thanks for having me. Hey, man, you be good. We'll look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah, thanks, dude. <laughs>